welcome to this week's episode of the Far Aim Podcast. Uh, this week we are covering weather, right guys? Is that weather is what we decided on? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm told. Yeah. Been, we've been in the live stream before we actually started this episode um, chatting away. And there's some debate on what this is actually going to be about, but weather is, is what we're going to go for. Scott, maybe you could just summarize, get a good summary of weather before we before we actually cued the music here. What the, um, let's kick off the weather episode. Well, one hour, one hour say, of weather. I would say, basically, if there's any weather, you just don't fly. I mean, if it's not calm, clear skies, I wouldn't bother going. So, I mean, that basically sums it all up. I don't really know what else there is to say about weather. I would say that pretty much covers everything. Okay. Um, well, that, that is... I don't yeah. know if Lee has anything to add. Probably not. I mean... No, I mean, I. what more is there to add, right? I mean, that's... there's You just yeah. summed up all the uh, literature for av- aviation weather there is. So, yeah, I mean, that's where the definition fair weather flyer comes in, right? And then those guys get thrown, guys and gals, get thrown anything more than just calm and clear and whatever. And it's like accidents can happen on those days. I was just talking to somebody about they were going out to fly a cub today. And I'm like, man, I yeah, I can't come. I just embarrass myself. You know, I would I would be borderline unsafe in a J3 cub today. I'm flown one since like 2015. I'd be borderline unsafe in like everything but the calmest wind. And then... It doesn't start that way. It starts by, I'm only going to fly on, you know, these, I only have these days to go fly. And if those days that I go fly are not, are, are above my personal minimums, 10 knots and it's, it's blow 10 knots is my minimum, but it's blowing 12 and I don't go. And it's just before, you know, it degrades, you just keep degrading and your skills completely atrophy. And before you know it, it's got, there's a whisper of wind. You could could be that's like what, me in a tailwheel, could be borderline unsafe. That's what happened to me. Yeah, that's what happened to me. I haven't flown in long enough where it's that's what ha- uh, I think that's what happens to everybody. You're looking for that day yeah. you're available to fly. It's Wednesday every week, and like three Wednesdays go by and it's not ideal. And before you know it, it's a month since you've flown or six months since you've flown, and you have no skills anymore. And yeah, maybe in a 150, 152, 172, or a Piper Cherokee that are super vanilla, you might be able to get away with it that day where it's like marginal and it's blowing 12 knots. And last time, you know, you flew was six months ago. You might be able to get away with that. Like is my case that I've talked about. But you get into something like a Cessna 185, uh, you know, a Super Cub, something that, or maybe Super Cub is not a bad example because it's relatively simple, but a Cessna 185, for example, high-performance tailwheel, that could, you know, eat your lunch really quickly if it's been six months since you've flown and you remember the skills you had that you don't have anymore. That'll take you out. The tailwheel is exponentially worse, but I mean, I could jump in a, a 150 right now, which is why I have the most time in back in the day, obviously. Anyone who's been a long-time listener knows this. And But how much wind or whatever, what other conditions would you be comfortable getting into? Because let me tell you, like I took, it'd been like two or three years since I'd flown GA when I jumped to my uncle's Cherokee, and it still haunts me how not proficient I was. Oh, yeah. And I'm a professional pilot. I'd, I would say if there was a five-knot, over five-knot crosswind in a 150 right now, like yeah, I'm out of I'm out of flight review at the moment. 
So I, the first mm-hmm. time I'd have to be with an instructor. And once I did an hour with an instructor, I'm sure I'd be fine. But if I were to just jump right. in it right now, oh, hypothetically, yeah. that, that wasn't a legal requirement and I just hopped in it right now, I'd probably be, I'd probably be freaking out about anything more than five. But once I'm on final, yeah. I'd, I'd probably just be fine. Like, I'd probably yeah, be okay. That's, that's how I am. Man. Yeah, I mean, I'm no, way more. I mean, yeah, way more nervous. Like that. Take, taking off scares me way more than landing. Really? Huh. Oh, yeah. The takeoff? Terrifying. Yes. How, elaborate on this a little bit, Scott. Yeah, I guess you might as well, Scott. Well, Let's because there's way more things that can go wrong on takeoff. Landing, like, once I got the runway made, I'm fine. Okay. You know? And, like, takeoff is like, that's when you, you like you're going for it. Like you've made the decision to fly. Once you're already in the air, you're already up there. So then what? There's no point. There's in a being, component. There's a component you know. of that I do agree with. As far as I was, I was just gonna say it is August 25th at 8:12 p.m. I am agreeing with Scott on his total synopsis of this yeah. right now. Right? I Thanks, I, I agree. To, I agree to the extent down. that once I'm in it. I'm in it. My mind just gets in the zone. I'm not worried about anything other. You know, everything else vanishes away. All my other worries. But for for the take when like, is that? What at what point is that? Uh, I don't know. Once I clear the, the trees, everything vanishes. Runway. When you've what? What's the tr- once I clear the trees at the end of the runway? Probably. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, for Scott, the concern of the takeoff more so than the landing is that just because of aircraft issues because i could see that on the aircraft like something going wrong with yeah the airplane yeah I, I, stuff i don't i don't worry i don't usually worry that much about my ability to handle the airplane it's more about if something does go wrong am i gonna know what to do yeah. On takeoff, I'll give you that. I'm worried about something going weird with the airplane and the airplane not being up to, right. up yeah, to yeah. the ability. And, on and the landing, like, the opposite. Final, I'm worried about my own skill until I'm I'm sitting yeah. right there faced with it, then it then it's fine usually. Yeah. It's yeah. weird. Yes. It's weird for me. Like when I'm on final, if there's a decent crosswind, I'm not worried about it. It's before I even take off that I'm like freaking out because I'm like, I shouldn't even be flying in this. But once I'm already on final, it's like, Hmm. all I have to do is land this plane and that's what I'm going to do. There's no decisions to make. It's just, that's it. I'm landing the plane. Yeah. See, I get like, I, I freak myself out with like anxiety. Like, I shouldn't be flying right now is what I'm thinking. If it's like, and so what pushes limit, you to actually you know, go do it if, then? If if it's closer, if it's close to my limit, it's like I shouldn't be flying right now, and then I'm freaking out like God, I'm such an idiot. Yeah. Why am I up here? But like once I'm on final, it's like there's no decisions. There's no like it's just I have to land this plane. So that's what that's what I'm gonna do, and then I'm not like freaked out anymore. When you're making like you're 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 pulling the plane out of the hangar and you're pre-flighting or whatever order and it's windy like you know or it's like it's windy enough that you're 
thinking about it, like when does that process of like, I shouldn't go do this, but I'm doing this anyways. What, like, where is that in the thing? Are you sitting in the plane and the wind is rocking the plane a little bit? Or that's the entire time. When does that kind of flight, the pre-flight, the sitting in the plane, the taxiing out the entire time. What forces you, what gets you over that hump though? Like, well, anymore, anymore, my limit. I know it's, yeah. Okay. Anymore, nothing. What I, did? Just, I just don't <laughs> when you fly. Put yourself just, back to that. You just don't go. When I, yeah, yeah, I just don't go. When I put like back in the day, just like I wanted to be a better pilot, so I'm gonna do it. And like, I know other pilots do it, so I'm gonna do it. Yeah. Right. Right. And that's yeah, that's built you into the pilot you yeah. are today because you yeah, pushed yourself. I'm not. And I'm you not flew. Very good so today, the thing but. is. Well, you, well, you, well, you're maybe not as proficient, but the bare bones stick and rudder is all still there. The, um, damn it, Scott. What? I don't know. Yeah, I totally lost what I was going to say. Oh. Never mind. Maybe it'll come to me. It wasn't that important anyways. Oh, okay. Um, Rob, that's where you need to be a little bit better about picking it up, bud. Whether, um, whether or not we continue anything so <laughs> scott you're going flying you're not even checking the weather yeah. really anymore because if you look outside and it's anything no. but perfect like any cloud in the sky anything going on you're not going anyway no so that's yeah c- i usually don't not, bother to check the weather that's not really relevant um lee you're flying corporate now, mm. but you, you've been mm-hmm. bouncing back into GA to fly out the Lake Erie Islands a little bit. Mm. What are you mm-hmm. looking for weather-wise? Because it's all of a sudden, all that fancy Learjet stuff, you're used to just, oh, whatever, I'll fly over it. That doesn't apply anymore. What do you, what's your check yep. now when you're going out to fly? What are you, what are you looking I at? Am checking, I am checking the weather I don't want to embellish too much, but I am probably checking the weather. I'm definitely checking it more thoroughly, like the forecast. I'm going to like abstract sources, not abstracts, national weathers, NOAA, um, NOAA websites. Um, that's mainly like a lot of stuff I'm looking for is like for boaters. I'm getting deep into that type of stuff um, to get really good data on because we don't have good reception at the cottage. So like the GA flying has really been consisting of going to our cottage in Canada, which actually we do have pretty good internet coverage now, but I'm still like going on. I don't want to go if I, if it's going to be like maybe unsafe to come back or whatever. So I'm doing a lot of the round trip pre-flight planning. Uh, Like maybe if we go on a Friday, I'm checking it like all week up to, you know, up to Friday to make that go, no go decision. Do we take the ferry or do we fly? And so <clears throat> I'm really getting into all these different sources, really digging into it and looking a lot more thoroughly than I would for work because, and I've said this before, the airplane is not, of course, now I'm not at my peak either, but the airplane is not as capable as the one I fly for work. Therefore, my limitations, my thresholds are a lot lower. So, you know, I'm looking, you know, I have to look at ceilings. It's all got to be VFR. There's no IFR possibility for this route that I'm taking. You know, I I don't want to be too, I don't want to scud run because it's over open water. 
So I don't want to be too low. I want to have some glide capability or at least I can make that, make it near that boat that, you know, in front of that boat, you know, if it's, if I can tell that it's moving, but if it's a stationary fishing boat, you know, get near it, um, make shore obviously, or near shore, the better, the closer, the better. So there's a lot of considerations for those things. Got my family on board and with two little kids, it's just, I'm, I'm a lot more thorough checking. Uh, for the GA flying I'm doing because the airplane's not as capable. It is the bottom line. Okay, so what would be like one of the limitations you set on that before we move on to like what you'd teach somebody just getting into flying or maybe somebody's not a professional? What What are your current limits like, like when you are going to the island before we jump into all that? Oh, so I mean, as far as wind and stuff is going, I haven't really, I mean, just right now, I would say I probably don't want to go in probably 30 knots of wind. Like, I mean, depending on how much crosswind it is. I mean, if it was, you know, 15 to 20 degrees off, I'd, I'd definitely still go. But I mean, if you start talking, it's 45 degrees or something like that off. And I'm dealing with, a, you know, 15, you know, the uh, demonstrated crossing component in the Cherokee is like 17 knots, you know. So if I start getting to that, I'm not going to try and blaze a trail and, you know, be a test pilot. Uh, could it Could it be safe? I think so, but I expect a little bit more than just that bottom line. Just it's just it's safe. That's it. I don't want that to be the 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 um what do I want to say the threshold. So I'm thinking crosswind component wise, I want to keep it probably around the maximum demonstrated, fifteen to seventeen knots. Um, and then ceilings. You know, I want ceilings. Cause I want to cruise. This time we came back at like twenty five hundred. I'd like to be 3,500, but I felt okay at 2,500 with the route I took. So I made a little bit of a deviation. So I couldn't do my 3,500. I saw the 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 uh, ceilings were lower. So I just deviated and made my course. So I stayed along shore a little bit more than, than a straight line would let me. So the flight took a little bit longer because I had a little dog leg in my flight path. But yeah, so 2,500. So I want to see ceilings around 3,000 or so to have my cloud clearance and visibility requirements 500 below, right? So I need to see ceilings around 3,000 AGL to make that. So yeah, 15 to 17 crossing component, obviously good visibility, you know, so three miles of visibility I think would be fine with me. When I say that now, I feel like complete wuss, you know, because back in the day I'd go fly the islands with. Well, yeah, for for me. If you don't have at least 10, you should. Yeah, I'm only, well, yeah. And that might be so, you know, maybe when I went and saw three miles these days in a GA airplane, maybe it would freak me out more, you know, but there's a time to, you know, two miles was fine. Okay. So that's in the Cherokee. You, even back in the day, yeah. you didn't have a ton of Cherokee time. You had, you said you had over a thousand plus hours in a Saratoga. What is, what is the, yeah. what's the demonstrated crosswind? On a Saratoga versus what your comfort level would I think be. It's still, I think it's still 17 in that thing. 17 demonstrated? I'm not sure on the Saratoga. I'm actually looking at my time and types right now just so we can be super specific because I normally, I know this is up to date now. I just finished updating my logbook after. Um, Well, I hope that's not right or I've been lying to everybody. So under PA32, it says I have 546 hours. Oh my gosh, it's half of what you've said in previous episodes. I know, I'm such a liar. Jeez. 
I have so many numbers running through my head. Uh, Give me a little slack. I hope everybody forgives me. Um, what a piece of shit. Where's PA-28? <laughs> 2,200 hours in a PA-28. 2,200 hours in a PA-28, which is a Cherokee. Okay. I didn't, um, I didn't realize you had that much Cherokee time then. Yeah. So never never mind. So you're, you were comfortable going over the crosswind component on the islands back in the day a little bit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not a limitation. It's just like the most that was demonstrated during like flight testing. So why don't they I'm just sure. hire like a, why don't they just hire like a super badass test pilot to crank those numbers way up and be like, yeah, our plane can do 50 knot cross. I'm sure the insurance probably wouldn't have appreciated that. They wanted <laughs> yeah. something realistic probably, you know, they, during those tests, they probably are getting it more than what they state was the max demonstrated. They're probably, that's the max demonstrated where they had a comfort level of the general public doing it, probably. And they're probably buffing those numbers I think that's down. all they found. The day they were doing test flying, that's all they could get was 17 maximum. Okay. That's how they get weird limitations like that. You'd think you'd go out on a different day or like update the... Some, that's money. It's a multi-day that they have to process. bake into the cost of... Yeah. I mean, I'm sure there, it is a multi-day process, but... And none of this is suggesting you should disregard the crosswind max demonstrated crosswind components of whichever airplane you're flying all right this is just us reminiscing about dumb things we used to do all the time and no longer yeah yeah but it but it definitely can be done can be done it's being done every day to this day so yeah but yeah okay so that's okay so where were we so i am comfortable very comfortable in a cherokee type airplane but with my time away from the type and getting back into GA flying, I'm there have been some a little bit of heartache in some areas as to, you know, transitioning, you know, back to doing more full stall landings and things like that. So um, but as far as, you know, just me knowing the general like layout of the area and kind of like my my landmarks and whatever to get back safely, I think three miles would be would be fine. I'm pretty sure of that. Pretty sure of that. And then, um, yeah, it's I'd want that 3,000-foot ceiling just because I don't want to be any lower than 2,500 feet over the ground. Yeah. The Lake Erie Islands. Personally. Just the three of us have had so much time over there, three miles would probably be all right. But in most other situations, I would not be comfortable with three miles. Yeah. I mean, but yeah, flying the islands for that many years and whatever, just, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, and remember, I see that although... Although it's under IFR coming to land, I see three miles often. I see low visibility. Not, I guess I shouldn't. I see three miles often. I see really low visibility sometimes. I mean, like, you know, half mile, mile sometimes. That'd be freaking. You know, so I, I remember what those, what those are like. You know, I happen to be on IFR, you know, and I, I'm shooting a hardcore approach, but. I don't, re- I don't, it's not that I don't remember or realize how little visibility I have. And also, I'm not going that fast, I'm going 90 knots or whatever, you know. So it's, That's it's, it's a little bit different. And there's, what's that? That's pretty fast. 90 knots. Yeah, but comparatively, I have three miles of visibility and I'm going 90 knots. I'm, I don't have one mile visibility going 200 knots. You know, it's just, I don't know. False insecurity, I suppose. Um, Scott, 
you have time in a 150 back when you were like me and used to actually fly it. Um, right. 13 knots was the was the max demonstrated crosswind of the 150. Am I, am I correct on that? Am I misquoting? Maybe somebody in the chat knows. I thought it was fifth. I thought it was fifteen, but yeah, I don't know. Okay. How did you ever go over that back in your heyday of flying all the time? Um. Yeah. I think I'm. I'm sure I did. I. I don't. I mean, I know there was a time where I. I. I ran out of rudder. There was like nothing I could do to keep it on the center line. I landed like off to the side. It was fine. I made it, but yeah, I, I couldn't keep it on the center. How did that go into your decision-making? Like when you're taking off that, what were you looking for? Do you remember like back when you're doing it, doing it? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I didn't really pay attention that much back then. Just, you know, more like, well, yeah, Don Ross doing it. So, I can do it too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. That's Bingo. That's kind of my yeah. Somebody else is doing it. So he was the measuring stick. He was the measuring yeah. stick back then. Yeah. You know, he probably has fifteen thousand hours and has been flying a lot more different planes and years of his life than 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 me. But you know. That, he Still, inspired me several days where too. I was not planning on going flying because of the wind, and I'm just like, yeah, he's out there doing it in a J3 Cub, yeah, like, yeah. and dealing with this crosswind component in a J3 Cub. I'm like, I can probably, yeah, get the 150 in and out of here safely, and so I'd go. There'd be days I'd. I, there was one time. Of, there was one time when I saw him fly a Cub when I wouldn't even have wanted to pull my plane out of the hangar. Yeah. What actually? One of the other guys at the I airport can't. came over and yelled at him when he came back and was like, "You should not have been flying." <laughs> yeah, man. Elijah, do you think oh, he'd ever come on the geez. show? I don't think so. We're trying to move towards in-person recordings. That way, I can control the internet, and we're all in the same room mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. with um. It would be more fun. What do they call that? I'm trying to get a connection, the fast internet. The one with the the lights that go through the wire. I don't know. I'm not an IT fiber. guy. <laughs> the lights go through the wire. Fiber optic, yes. Fiber. fiber, fiber. Oh my God. You could describe it, but you couldn't come <laughs> The lights that go through the wire. That's, that was very funny. I'm trying Ron. to set up left with alone. pilot ground money a fiber optic internet setup connection somewhere where it's decent enough audio and then kind of announcement i'm leaving the super yachting industry as of this recording in about a month pursue another another career path uh, that will give me the flexibility to go up to ohio so ground crew we're trying to get the ground crew numbers up that way kind of tentatively i could go up to ohio for like 10 days every month and a half and um, we just batch record every other month for like 10 days. And that way, all or at least more of them are in person. Even if they're not all, like half mm. of them in person would be sweet. But anyway, um, weather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, weather. What yeah, would let's... you show, like, if you're not a professional pilot, and let's say you're a renter, mm-hmm. 
more people are renters, which I, you can't ignore that variable. I feel like no, because you're, you've got more flexibility to slowly work your way up if you own your own aircraft. And cause you can, it's not that big of, you don't have to schedule the plane. You don't have to be on that timeline and then make that go, no go decision means whether or not you're actually using that time block or not. It's way more relaxed, right? which I think yeah. it adds a, adds a level of safety, I think, but also allows you to go last minute a lot of times just to go fly where if you're yeah. renting, you don't do that, yeah. um, which allows you to, to get your skills better and you can just really dial it in more, I feel like. So let's let's assume we're renting a plane. Okay. And we're a private pilot. Yeah. A few hundred hours. Uh-huh. What are you teaching? Like, if I came to you and I was just at the private pilot level and I haven't flown in years, like, walk me through what you're teaching me. Because I, I, I've, I've literally been out of it for, for a couple of years at the moment. I haven't flown. So, like, what are we doing to so, check weather? Like, up in Ohio for an, a flight in Ohio and, like... The spring. Yeah, I mean, check weather, whatever. I mean, yeah, there's, I mean, there's stuff there. I want to go in a little bit of a quick direction. So, like, sometimes you have these, we've talked about, like, an accelerated flight, you know, flight training program, and you have this really, really small footprint for your training, and you're going to knock out this private in two months, three months, whatever. And is that summer? Is that winter? You know, I mean, maybe it bridges the two, but ultimately mostly good weather. You have very limited exposure to maybe either extreme if you get it, you know, spring or fall. One thing that I would worry about and when people talk about, oh, I knocked out my private in a month. It's like, okay, you got exposed to either icing and those weather type phenomenons, you know, slick runways, uh, icing, um, well, Overnight, obviously, frost and things like that, freezing rain maybe, or the type of in-flight icing. Um, you have those sets of things. And then if you are on the other side, you know, you got your, all your private pilot training in a month in the summertime, you know, your thunderstorms, you're really good at density altitude and thunderstorms. So it's like you don't have a really, really good foundation, you know, spanning all the different things. And I think that's a little bit detrimental. You can talk about theory and I'm sure that's all covered. I know as an instructor, when you're trying to just get through the training, and I was 61, so it was very loose, and I could have done a better job as an instructor, obviously. But I just know that it's easy. You focus on the task at hand. You focus at the weather that you're actually dealing with. And those types of things, you kind of relegate to like, okay, you're going to cover that on the written, and I'm going to give you the bare minimum to maybe, you know, we don't know the types of icing, but you won't have experienced it. We won't have talked about, should we go fly today? Should we not go fly today? Making those go, no go realistic decisions. Um, if you're not actively in that time of the year or in that part of the country where it's like in your face. So it's easy to let that slide. Then that person goes in, it's August, they take their check ride. And then before you know it, right around the corner, November, December rolls around. And it obviously at, you know, 5,500, 7,500 feet, it's below freezing. And they're like picking up ice or whatever. And, or, you know, maybe I guess not if it's already below freezing, they're probably okay. But you guys know what I'm saying. They're in a potential danger zone as they climb up to altitude or cruise around when they weren't 
before. They only understand theory and not like maybe practical application. So that's one thing that I worry about um, is just knocking it out in one season or the other. You tend to really have that ingrained, you know, the characteristics and the things to look out for during that season, uh, not the whole year round. You got anything on that or? I was going to, I was just thinking too, a lot of people come from all over the world to train down here in South Florida, uh, all over the country Mm -hmm. to train in South Florida. And you get really good at keeping an eye out for thunderstorms and stuff, especially certain Mm -hmm. times of the year and avoiding Mm -hmm. tons and tons of traffic, really busy, high volume areas. Mm Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. you're not getting anything like if you're flying over remote areas. I mean, we kind of have the Everglades, but in airplane speak, right. you're over on the next coast pretty quickly compared to like the Great Plains. Yeah. And then you're not yeah. dealing with any of the cold weather stuff, even marginally cold weather right. stuff. Like sometimes right. in right. sometimes in February, you know, it's like, oh man, we this is what it's like to fly with a jacket on. This is this is weird. I've never done this before. You're not dealing with actual <laughs> cold weather. And right. You know, you, yeah, you're doing your training be- down here and then you fly back up to your northern state, your home to like continue on with your career and you, it's the first time you're ever dealing with with the ice, first time you're ever dealing with snow, first time you're ever, ever dealing with that kind of stuff. Luckily, if you're working for like a 120, if you're going, you know, through ATP or Embry Riddle or any of the real big prominent names in the 141 uh, gig, you know, you're gonna graduate, build up a little bit of flight time, probably in that same place where you trained, dealing with the same weather. So you're just kind of reinforcing, and you're kind of safe because that's what you're familiar with. That's what's really beat in and ingrained and there's probably SOPs from the school involved that help keep you safe with those set the semi-defined set of issues um but then if you're going on and you're using one of those as a gateway to like a 121 air carrier and airline you know even a regional you have so many backstops and SOPs and just company operations things that pretty much should keep you safe. You'd have to, it's really easy. So you push back from the gate, everybody else, there's 15 airplanes lined up getting de-iced. Eh, you should probably get de-iced too. It's like nobody would ever call you on that. Everybody else is doing it. That's one of those cases where, you know, just get in line and do what everybody else is doing. Somebody had the bright idea, I'm just going to do this, whether it's because they wanted to get paid, they had a, they saw frost in a place in a, on the airplane that you can't even see on your airplane. There's just a bunch of reasons. So there's, there's built-in things, if you go to a 121, that keep you kind of, it's a safety net, they just kind of keep you safe just because it, there's, there's this big hive, semi-like hive mentality. And you have all these people doing the same type of job out of the same airport with the same type of airplane. If they're doing it, you probably should just do it too. Problem in the in in the case of getting de-iced and anti-iced. Um, so if you learn in the summer, you know, ATP Embry Riddle down there in South Florida, Florida, and you're mostly dealing with thunderstorms and density altitude considerations and whatever. And then you go on to, you know, silver airways, you know, they're flying. I can't remember ATRs or SOBs, whatever they're flying anymore. But um, you go to a 121 carrier like that, you're going to be pretty well backstop. And you have a, it's a multi-crew environment as well. You have a captain that has been around a little bit. If icing becomes a consideration somewhere, they've seen it. They should help you 
continue your your learning and your your uh, your growth. What if you're doing like more of a time building thing? Let's say you say you got your CFI down uh-huh. here, and now you're and going you went up, back home. To now North you're going Dakota? north home to be a CFI at a flight school with, you know, most of the time or never there's another CFI to like even walk you through it. You just, it's a mom and pop shop and CFI went to the airlines. So they hired you. So then you moved up to somewhere. I hope Colorado. Yeah. I hope they had like, I hope your training was ingrained enough to regurgitate you know, icing limitations for most of the airplanes, you know, visible moisture or visibility less than a mile or a mile or less, whichever way you want to look at it. And temperature between positive 10 uh, to minus 40. So positive 10, so that's like 40 degrees. Um, No, that's 50. Hell, I don't know. I've had too many beers already. But anyways, one. I gotta go to another um, somewhere around there. Positive 10 Celsius to negative 40 Celsius. That's kind of your icing limitations. So you have visible moisture, one form or another, or um, active precipitation obviously would count. And then, you know, your temperature range. If you have those types of active fin- uh, meteorological phenomenon occurring and you're in a non-known icing equipped airplane, you should be thinking about things. And that's not, I mean, and that one, that one takes some thought. You can walk out to the airplane, there's frost in the airplane. Well, obviously you need to get the frost off. So hopefully their basic training for their private pilot embedded all those concepts for them or not. Or if it didn't, you're, 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 the picture you're painting, Rob, could, could be bad, could be bad. Hopefully they learn and nothing happens, nothing, nothing catastrophic happens. But if they're, you're left to your own devices and you learned, you know, you know, in Florida or wherever, Georgia, you know, it might be even depending on the time of year, you know, it, you could get a lot of your training done in, you know, the Carolinas and never really have any exposure to icing. Oh, so there's a big training swath in, of the country that... Do your training in the summer in Ohio, you wouldn't have exposure to icing either. 100%, but there's just not the 141 schools you know, that kind of fit. Yeah. You're 100% yeah. right. Yes. Yeah, yeah, there's just not any 141 schools. If you're getting to the level, you're not, you can get a private in the summer. That's not a huge undertaking to get that done in the summer if it's a, pr- a big priority and you have the resources and everything. You're not getting zero to CFI, zero to hero in a summer. I don't care who you are. But down in Florida, probably not. You can, go, you can do like Brennan Saunders we have on, which I, I want to get him back on here. To update us on his story at some point, he went through nine months. He didn't just right. went from no zero time in his logbook to CFI double I MEI in an, in yeah. a nine month period down in Mind Florida. Boggling, I that's can't cr- imagine. That's crazy. No, that's nuts. So, yeah, you can do that, and then he went up to Texas, I think, to teach. I think he's back down in, in West Palm here now but he was okay. up in texas his first cfi job i believe i mean they get some days where it's cooler up in texas oh for sure yeah in, i mean all the ice storms and stuff like North that texas maybe i'm not sure where in texas he yeah, was well, i mean i guess i don't really know i don't really know my texas geography so i've never well, been to dallas fort worth area texas gets yeah southern southern texas is pretty hot year round i think <laughs> yeah i don't know northern florida gets Jared chilly King. i mean it gets Wayne. down the 40s 
That's cold. Oh, yeah. It gets down in the low 50s. Yep. That's, Everybody run for cover. That's yeah, pretty rough. Yep. Throw another log on the fire. Happens. I heard it happens quite regularly up there in northern Florida. Yep. Iguana's falling out of trees. I avoid it that time of year. Yeah. Oh, God. You guys get some 40s down there, Rob. Yeah, and all the iguanas fall out. Of the, they get stiff and fall out of the trees on yeah. you. They, they go into yeah. shock. We had a we had a plane bring bring an iguana back all the way back to Ohio. Oh, I bet iguana really? would love the weather in Ohio. What it do? Crawl yep. in the plane? Climbed up in the wheel well. Yep. Yeah. I assume climbed it was up dead. in the wheel well. Froze to death. Yeah. Yes. Poor thing. Definitely. Poor poor guy. Yep. Yeah, that sucks. Um, tasted fine, but yeah. Yeah. Um, you eat him. Yeah, obviously. Can't let it go to waste. Oh, yeah. Absolutely not. Um, Rob. Yes. What's next? Uh, what's that? What's that you're cracking open? Funky Buddha. Florian. Oh, what's everybody drinking? I kn- That's supposed to okay, be before good. we Hold start we'll the episode. That. What is I that, know, Rob? but we haven't asked it in a long time. For those of you who don't get to enjoy these live streams, head on over to robertberger.com and um, sign up the email list so you can join us. But uh, usually, Lee... Um, forgets, but he was for a while asking what everybody was drinking before we start the show. But today he was just talking about Scott's cousin, talking about dudes. Well, well, I mean, that was a night. Nice, I mean, it was good to, I don't know, get warmed up. This is, you know, it's good to warm up on that. What are you drinking, Rob? Yeah, Rob, we, we all need to it's know. It's a we funky know Buddha Floridian, hmm. which I am. What type of beer is that? A wheat? What does that say? Wheat, beer. wheat pills? Yep. And uh, oh, we. I drink the Floridian in my Ohio glass. Ohio glass. Oh wow! I don't you beer glass I own. Yeah, but that's, uh, okay. That's so great weather. So I basically what we're going now into. We're enjoying crotch rockets driving by my place right now. Um, Nobody heard it. I didn't hear it. If uh oh. So we're we're recording this in summer months. We're behind on on recording, so this will go out. It'll still be September. We'll, we'll be running into the the fall here. So many parts of the the world, many parts of America, will be going into the fall months, which leads to the winter months. What are what are some tips? Maybe the last twenty minutes here that we could, you know, really set people up for success in their aviation journeys here, going into the fall. Uh, Cold weather wise. Mm, cold weather wise. I mean, I, I think and I hope that it's ingrained, you know, obviously don't take off with frost in the airplane and just be mindful of those icing limitations. You know, look at pie reps and where known or forecast icing is. Doesn't mean that it's there. And then if you get encounter inadvertent icing, have nowhere, nowhere it's not. Know what altitude it's not. So if it's like, for example, plus five at your current altitude and you're picking up ice, trace ice, if you climb, so like, for example, you're going east at 5,000 feet MSL, so that's the right altitude for the direction of flight, and, you, and you're and you picking up trace ice, if you go climb to seven, 2,000 feet, which might be painful, and I understand that in a heavy GA airplane, you know, that might take you four minutes to climb, you know, 500 feet a minute. It might take you more than that, you know, if you're, but if, if it's cold enough to make ice, you got some performance advantage there, maybe blah, blah, blah. So maybe it takes you four to five minutes to climb those 2000 feet. 
you are likely not going to be getting ice at 7,000 feet. It's recognizing those things early, not sitting on your hands, like just letting time go by. You need to be active. You have to realize I'm in visible moisture. The temperature is in a somewhat, I don't want to call it dangerous range, but in a range that I need to be watching and paying attention, doing pilot shit. And I need to know as soon as I see a trace ice amount of ice, I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to, I, and I should be thinking about that the whole time. I should be completely proactive that, okay, I'm going to go down or I'm going to go up. It's obviously easier to go down because you can get there quicker because you can go down at 2000 feet a minute if you want and probably be okay in that case as well. But I tend to, I tend to want to go a little bit higher where I know it's already going to be solid precipitation. I'm going to be out of that icing range. It's a very narrow window really for icing conditions. The IKO definition is very wide, positive 10 to minus 40. That's huge. But the like realistic icing range is like positive five to like minus 15. So as you climb, can you still be within that temperature range? Yeah. But in theory, the moisture composition has probably also changed. I believe NASA has done, and NASA is kind of based up here in Cleveland, They have where they do a lot of their icing research with Twin Otters, I might add. Uh, they, I believe they have found, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, a change of altitude, either direction, up or down, by 3,000 feet will get you out of icing conditions. Either direction. Hmm. So that's like a nugget somebody can fact check me on. Hmm. But I'm pretty sure 3,000 feet up or down. An altitude change of 3,000 feet either way will get you out of icing conditions. And it's probably one or the other. It would be less than that. They're just... No, it's probably both. Well, it's probably both. You got to think that's a, on, a, on a smooth day. And you can also, if you're riding around a bunch of bumps, chances are you have a non-standard lapse rate meaning it's probably cooling off quicker than standard. But if it's, you know, that same, the standard adiabatic lapse rate of two degrees Celsius per thousand feet, you got to think that's a six degree swing either way. Okay. So if, if you're at zero, like obviously it's creating ice, right? If you're at zero, 32 degrees Celsius Fahrenheit, and you go up, you're going to lose. You're going to be down in minus six. And if you go down, you're going to be positive six. So that's kind of, I don't know. I didn't do the study, but I'm pretty sure that I read that, heard that, both. I don't know. Yeah, but you never know if you're right dead in the center, though. No, you don't. So but you're, you're going to, I'm telling you what you're going to gain. Within 3,000, it doesn't matter which way you're going. I'm saying maybe it's 3,000 feet up, you can get out of it, but maybe like 20 feet down, you get out of it, but you just never know. So it's like either... Whichever choice yeah, you so make, three thousand still works. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. With whichever decision you make, you're good within three thousand. But it'd probably be before three thousand. Yeah, if that's the rule they made. Well, it might be. Yeah, it might be. Yeah, it might be. They're trying to come up with something simple that they could say: yeah. change your altitude by three thousand feet, and you're going to be out of icing. And I'm saying that's probably worst case scenario. It's probably less. I'm just trying well, to be. It could just be. Just trying to be encouraging to people. You know. Maybe they're listening well, to this in their headphones in icing. I said, you know, just make a maybe. choice, up or down. You, you'll get up out. Down. Try up first. Okay. Try up first. You can always go down later. The ice will Go help. down. Go down. Get low to the ground. As low to the ground as you can. You, Scott, if you get ice, you can't go any lower, dude. 
You mean mowing the grass? Yeah. Tree if you start picking up, up ice, if yeah. you're not if you're not breaking branches, you ain't low enough. <laughs> All right, Scott. That so just reminded me of you're something at, I heard you're recently. at two thousand feet and you're in ice and it's nighttime out over the lake. You're going you're going down instead of up. Um, do I have a gun on board? <laughs> yes, there's no bullets though. Oh, too expensive. Damn, I was gonna say I just shoot myself in the head. Uh, <laughs> I don't. What? Why would I be? Why would I be out there at night in icing? You just you had a hankering to go fly. Who? You, uh, you listen to the foreign podcast and you, yeah. who's holding me at gunpoint, forcing me to fly them? I I did, but I didn't go with you though because I didn't want to go on the flight. I just made you take off. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh yeah, I don't know. Um I mean I I'd probably climb at that point. Yeah, probably. What altitude are you at? Two thousand. What are you doing? Two thousand. You're in ice at two thousand feet. I don't know that I would do climb. anything, honestly. I would probably just aim towards the nearest airport and try to land. Because I don't want to climb because it's gonna slow my ground speed down. Me? What? No, d- Scott, oh, yeah. our whole conversation is just gonna stay at the same altitude until he gets to an airport. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it depends on how close that airport is. Yeah, if it's if close, you're close well, said, ice, he, though. You said you're flying over Lake Erie, right? Yeah, you're yeah. out. You're out at like, night, and I'm accumu- I'm accumulating ice. I'm not going to climb because that's going to slow my ground speed down. I just want to get back as soon as possible. Oh, man, yeah, I don't know. That's one thing that scares me about little airplanes is like trace ice. Totally fine. Been there, done that. Everybody has. No big deal. You find it completely like whatever like you didn't expect it wasn't forecasted but you ran into it what i don't like is you you it it ices up the windshield and you can't see that's the worst part not the aero not the aerodynamic i mean obviously depends on how fast it's coming down because that could be really bad really quick but the worst i've seen is like some very very light freezing rain very light like freezing mist and barely that but over like 20 minutes it just kind of sheen uh, sheets on the windshield, and you can't see anything. It's terrible. That's the that's the worst thing I think. It's like obvi- it's not going to harm performance a single bit, but it's just enough to disrupt your ability to see clearly out the windshield. What do you do at that point then? This sounds terrifying. Well, I mean, you you do your best, and you um. You ultimately don't end up doing a very good landing. So you can still, you can still that, see a little line. bit. I never let it get... S- well, so what I did is I ended up basically... So I ju- I turned around. I was about halfway to one of the islands. This is when I was island flying. I was about halfway there. And, and I already kind of had my mind made up if those conditions continued, you know, that by this point I was going to turn around. And so it continued by that point. I turned around. And it sucked. It was my last thing to do for the day. And it was almost a favor for like a friend and uh, tur- had to turn around. It was terrible and um, landed. And what I basically did is I just kind of flew my pattern. I don't remember exactly what I did, but I flew my pattern enough where I could basically always, well, I mean, I flew, yeah, I flew over top of the field instead of doing like a, a straight in, I flew over the top of the field. So I was kind of in a constant left-hand turn, uh, you know, and then over the, over the 
pretty close over the runway. I basically just kind of like did a very mild slip so I could see out of the lower left-hand corner of the windscreen and out the left window for like other visual cues. Then I just did pretty much normal landing. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. It wasn't perfect, but I more, instead of worrying about like doing a nice landing and flaring it nice, rolling it on, none of that stuff all out the window. I just wanted to like keep it obviously over the runway somewhat on center line in case the runway is slippery, any of those other considerations, you know, anything funky was happening with, with my visual references out the side window at that point, because you need to touch down straight no matter what. Obviously, you don't want to damage or sideload the gear. So I wanted to make sure that I, and I may have even biased to the, the, to the left, you know, or I don't know. I can't, I can't quite remember. Yeah. I feel like sounds- if I could see out the side window, I probably wouldn't do a very good landing, but I could still land it. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would recommend not trying to do a good landing. I try and just keep it over the runway. Don't side load it, yeah. you know? Yeah. Don't go off the side of the runway. I'd try to grace it still. You. I'd just try, go for the good landing. Why? Well, yeah, but yeah, when you don't know exactly how high you are above the runway, you have nothing out the front or very little. So you're trying to do a bad landing. And la- once you get into that flare... Everything is out anyways because the nose is up. If you're trying to do a bad, if you're trying to do a bad landing and you mess it up, it's gonna be really bad. If you're trying to do a good landing and you mess it up, it's gonna be just not a great landing. Okay, that's what I'm. You're right. I'm wrong. That's what I'm thinking. I just I'm, okay. What I'm doing you is talk about weather. I'm trying to I'm was. trying to drill down before when our last nine minutes. Oh, uh, look at the time. Look at the okay. time. The comment. Oh my God! Shut up. You got nine minutes, dude. Nobody even cares. No, I got um, I got one minute. Okay, Scott, then you then you <laughs> end us end us for a minute. Sixty seconds. The floor is yours. Okay, I would just like to say, best thing you can do about weather is honestly not flying it. But if you're gonna fly in it, you should probably know what you're getting yourself into. So, I would do some research. I would get some good weather apps on your phone. Just check those out. Not even aviation what? ones, because those are those are confusing and complicated. I'd just get some good, like, AccuWeather or something. Nah. Cause what, what's the non-confusing list? Break that down a little more. What are you using these days? Uh, AccuWeather and Windy. Okay. Mm, windy. We have Windy at work. I like, I like that. Yeah. I like both of those, actually. Windy's yeah. great, though. Yeah. That's, those are, those are the two that I use for weather. Um, Nothing else ever. I I I haven't lately. I used to for flight. Yeah, that's expensive. Big though, four so flight I, guy. I, I was, but they charge you like a hundred and something a year. So after oh, that, no. Okay. Wow, eight eight dollars a month. Just really. If I was flying, if I was flying regularly, I would use it, but I don't. So yeah, if I was flying I more than. Yeah, man. If I was I flying agonize. more than ten miles oh, yeah. away, I would use it, but I don't. So, all right. But yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Good night, Scott. Yep. Just notice you yep. have a precast shirt on. It's pretty nice. I do. It's good. good They're shirt. pretty nice shirts. I like it. They I are. Mine it is a very, I've it worn fits, mine. It fits really nice. I've yeah. worn mine multiple, multiple yeah. times. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have too. Man, we did very, so good. It's a great it shirt. Shop.pilotground.com. There's still some available as the I would recording. say I would say I look good in it, but I mean I look good in every shirt, so it doesn't really make any difference. Yeah, that's true. But, 
True that. Oh. True that. All right, Scott, you're done. Great. It's Scott. past your bedtime. Okay, good night, you Scott. Be in bed already. All right. Night, guys. Oh, right. minute over. <laughs> okay. No. So I want to drill, <laughs> before we wrap this up, I want to drill in the comment. You're saying don't try to do a good landing. I was trying to get you to go into that a little bit more with, with humor, but maybe I'll just directly say, what do you mean by not trying to go for the good landing at that point? That's not that's not the uh, that's not the consideration. I mean, obviously, to a safe land that's not going to damage the airplane. You know, I talked about side loading and things like that. And when you have such limited visual cues, you know, out of you know, in my case, I mean, there may have been like a small little bit that I could see, but most of it, it wasn't like oh, it was not frosted in appearance. It was like glazed, if that makes any sense. So all it did is it warped everything. Like I could see through it relatively good. But like if you were to look at a straight line, it would look all like jagged because like just the way the 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 droplets formed on the windshield. It was so it was very translucent. Not like a frosted mug type opaque. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um so I had a lot of good cues but they weren't I had a lot of cues they weren't good cues I guess is what I'm trying to say so I had to really tune out a lot of my cues that I'm used to having out of the front windshield and like me so I'm not a uh, I'm not a look way down the runway guy I'm a look in close guy for my landings that's just how I am Um, and it's worked out pretty good for me so when I have so I'm doing this left-hand pattern and I'm keeping it, you know, I'm keeping it, I'm purposefully flying this pattern so I can see the runway and see like where I am as long as I possibly can. There's nobody else out flying. Like there's no safety concerns doing any, and I'm not doing anything that weird anyways, but I'm doing a shallow left-hand turn to have as much view out of my left side window as I can the whole time. And I had a little like pinprick. I, I can't remember. It was maybe like half dollar size quarter of a quarter quarter size down where the worthless defrost on the Piper works. I was in a Piper Archer and um, I, yeah, I just kept that, that left hand shallow left hand bank going as long as I could and um, started kind of transitioning. I did a little bit of a slip to maintain that down, you know, kind of deeper into the flare and I normally, I'm not a slip kind of guy. I'm more of a, let's do this accurately as I can without slipping. And so I slipped it a little bit, keep that left, so I can look at that left side window, straighten it out at the last minute. And I'm pretty much only worried about longitudinally within reason. I'm not saying destroy this, you know, drive the gear strut up through the wing. I'm just saying at a certain point when I get to what is a safe flare height, I am only concerned about longitudinal and directional. Yeah, well, same difference. Um, longitudinal straightness with the with the runway, staying over what I perceive to be or bias towards the upwind. In case again, my visual cues kind of fail me. Yeah. I did everything that I thought I should. It turned out fine. I don't remember all of the specifics, you know, but of the actual like landing, those last couple seconds of the landing, I don't remember any of that. But since it wasn't noteworthy, I assume it was fine. I'm sure it was not my best work, obviously. But yeah, I just wanted to make sure I didn't damage the airplane. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't worried about style points. That's sufficient. I'm more of a look way right. down the runway kind of guy on my landing. I always I'm mess not. it up if I look in too close. 
I remember. I was I was like, why am I messing up these landings? And I realized, oh, because I'm not looking at the end of the runway. And then this moment I just brought my eyes up to the end of the runway, started fixing it, started dialing them in. Yeah. I. So when I'm flying with new guys and we're talking about, I have to like, I have to say it. And I'm like talking to them through like when they're supposed to maybe be looking, scanning towards the far end of the runway. I have to like imagine when they would be doing that because I don't do that myself. Okay. I don't really know. Like, I don't know when you normal people do that because I don't do that. I bring it up so, as I'm flaring. Like when I, we, let's wrap this up. That? We can start, We continue this. Okay. I'll wrap up the episode. Um, sure. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We are going to uh, go into the post chat usually i release these the week after the main episode releases uh if you'd like to join the chat head on over to robertberger.com uh click on the live link or forward slash live um if you don't feel like clicking anything when you type it in the browser uh sign up for the email list get on the email list i send out an email with as much notification as i can uh, about when and where we are doing these live streams they were doing it on twitch we don't always do it on twitch but when we do i send out an email typically um got a minute uh ground crew this is the last episode you'll be listening to on the feed last time we recorded we're in person it was amazing we want to do that way more often if not every single episode um that all comes from the ground crew we're we're trying to get to the point where we have a just a setup up in ohio and then I can travel there like every other month, just batch record some live stream all in person. If we have a guest, local guest up there, a lot of our guests are up there anyway, so they can just be in the studio with us. If not, patch the guest in. And then, yeah, at least the three of us are in the room and then we patch the guests in. Uh, it should be just way better for the show and overall. And um, that will allow us to like studio light a little bit and um, get some video. We've been requested for some, some video components of the show. Uh, which we'd like to dabble in over time. Uh, but in person, the split screen for like a YouTube video would be terrible. We're not going to do it. Uh, anywho, thanks for listening to the show. And um, yeah, see you next time. Thanks, guys. Later. Later.